how God works in lives and how God works in churches is I've seen so much neglecting of the Holy Spirit leading and we want to substitute, with, not with Christian Alexa, but we want to substitute with anything else except for the Holy Spirit. Um, and so what, what kind of brought me to this and brought me to that video? I feel like I'm kind of hot here. Bring that down. Is that better? All right. Um, what, what brought me to all this is the new year and and you guys know me, I'm just, my mind goes 100 miles an hour in a bunch of different directions. And so people have to kind of corner me into like really um, being more organized and, and doing some of those things. But, but I find myself in our church in the new year trying to figure out what our purpose is as a local body of believers. I think it's a good question to ask. I ask, I ask myself often what we're doing, why we're doing it. Um, and I think it's healthy for us to do that. And so in doing that, uh, what I found mostly was the way that it's been done wrong. <laughs> and I know that's bad, but I, I, I just, I'm brought back to what I learned when I first got saved. Um, and there was so much there, there, there was some good there, it wasn't all bad, but there was so much misunderstanding in that. And what happened was, uh, and many of you may have experienced, I've seen other people have conversations with many of you, many other people that have experienced this. What happens is, when, when I first got saved, when I was born again, I... I was excited. I was just, uh, quote, unquote, on fire, which is an, another term I might talk about later if we have time. I was on fire. I was excited. And then usually what happens is there's a period of time. Mine was probably two or three weeks. And then I, I, it began to kind of go down a little bit. Anybody experience that? I just, the, the feeling or the cloud nine of all my sins were lifted began to kind of, I'm just being honest, it just, it just began to die down a little bit. I thought, well, I need to get that back, right? I, something's wrong. I need to get that back. And so I asked other Christians, what do I need to do? And they said, you need to get plugged into a church. Another term we say, we need to get plugged into a church. Now, I'm not saying we don't need to be involved in church. I 100% believe we do. That's another phrase that bugs me because what happens, here's, here's the progression that I've seen. We get saved, we'll say collectively just for talking about it. We get saved, um, and it's great, it's awesome. So we're radical, our hearts are changed, and we are righteous uh, through Jesus to God. We are reconciled with the Father. So a few weeks go by, and that feeling may shift or change, and now we need to find something that can keep that going, and so we, get, we, we say we need to get plugged into a church. Now what happens is, instead of being led, or, or instead of people that, this is my own experience, maybe not you, but instead of being led to hear from the Holy Spirit and have communion with the Holy Spirit, um, I was told to plug into a church. And what happens with that is, then I, then I, put all of, my, all of my trust and my source in a church, in a group of people, or a theology or a belief system or anything. But the problem with that is they're not perfect, right? I know our church is pretty close, <laughs> but it's not perfect. And so I think what, what happened was, or what happens a lot of times is, we, then we say, okay, we need to get plugged into a church. So then instead of keeping our source as Christ, we put our source in a church. And then what happens a lot of times is that church fails us in one way or another, whether it's intentional or not intentional, somehow something happens. And a lot of times people will then either pull away from the church or will we'll go to a different church to try to find a better whatever, whatever it is. They try to find something else, another fix, basically. Um, and so the progression is we, we get saved, we, go, we, we get, try to get plugged into a church, the church messes up or we mess up, and the church does something. Something happens, and then we pull back because we've, we put our faith in something that's, that's not... Christ himself is not Holy Spirit-led. Now, I, ran, I saw a, what was it, an air freshener the other day in a truck. 
Um, I'm on the road a lot, so I see a lot of bumper stickers and stuff, but this was an air freshener. It said, um, if Christ died for you, the least you can do is live for him. Have you seen that? And, and I was talking to Brian about it. Brian said, yeah, that's real common. He had, they had like T-shirts and stuff back in the day or whatever. And I'd never seen that before. And I was like, really? How, how messed up are we that we think that it's such a burden to live for Christ? How messed up are we that we think that we live for Christ, not from him? <laughs> because we feel, like we, <laughs> we feel like Christ, by way of the Holy Spirit, is just the spiritual police, like a, like a Christian Alexa that's trying to, trying to create all these boundaries for us when the Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit's not defensive. It's offensive. He's leading us, right? It's, we've, we've really got some terminology messed up when we say some of these things. The Bible tells us to be grafted into the vine, into the source, not into people. People can fail us sometimes. I'm not saying we can't help each other, but if we put all of our faith in people, they're not, they're not the source. They're not the vine. We put our faith in churches in general, churches, buildings, and, and denominations or whatever. They can fail us because we're people. We mess up. But if we put our faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit and he leads us, how, how easy is it to follow? <laughs> I mean, think about that. Think about leading a horse or something. How easy is it for a horse, a horse, a horse just to be led, right? Um, but going back to what I was hearing in the beginning about stepping on toes and too many times we've tried to beat people into submission instead of leading them and letting the Holy Spirit lead them. We've tried to step on their toes and, and say that we're doing things in love when we're not, we're just trying to control them. This is, this is not what I want our church to be. I don't want our church to be um, manipulative and uh, heaping more guilt and shame on people. This is the opposite of what I see Christ doing. I see Christ washing Judah's feet. I see Christ loving people beyond what they can do for him. We've said our great commission as a church is another thing I looked at when I looked at our church. We say we love God and love people, right? I mean, we, we have a loving God and we love people. Now, we've talked about this in the past. It seems simple enough, but if you don't know what love is, it can complicate things. Love is not an emotion, Right? Love is not an emotion. The Bible tells us love is the definition of God. So we're not looking for a definition of love anymore. Okay? Can we get that? We reversed it. God is love. The reason we can only love because he first loved us is because we didn't, under, we didn't have the capacity to love like he loves. Biblical love is not an emotion. So the reason that we love because he first loved us is because he gave us the ability to love. Because we can't do it on our own. It's supernatural. Do you see it? how it... If you don't understand that and you come into church and you get plugged into a church and I tell you to love people and love God, then what, what's, what are you going to do? What's the first question? How? How do I do that? I don't like this person. <laughs> or I, I don't want to love them. I need to try. And this is a discussion I had with a few friends um, through text conversations, which can keep you up late at night, so be careful. Um, and I asked, well, why can you try to love people? And the, the first response was, Yes, of course, you try to love people. And I said, okay, well, how? Or, or give me an example. He said, well, if somebody's, you know, uh, stuck in icy water and you go and help them, you don't want to get your feet cold and wet, but you go and help them instead. So you're having to try to do it. I said, okay, well, that's a good example. I said, well, what's your motive? And he said, well, it clearly says that there's these different uh, levels, you know, the second judgment, all this stuff. And I said, okay, so selfish ambition, right? And he said, wow, I didn't think about that. 
So is that, is that our purpose for loving? And what we ended up coming back to is, you're talking about something different than what I'm talking about. The problem is we don't know, we don't fully understand what love is. Because we've been told, or I've been told my whole life, that love is emotions and your brain is logic. How many of you have been taught that? Either listen to your heart, you have to listen to your heart, or, or don't just listen to your heart, you need to be responsible and listen to your mind. But when scripture tells us Christ came and he brought his kingdom with him and he put, it, he put his kingdom in our heart, now from our heart we live from that place. Now our mind is renewed from our heart, not the other way around. So when we, we get saved, we, we come into church, we put our faith in some of the wrong things. Now what happens is a lot of time religion, we get freed from bondage of sin, right? This is a progression. We're freed from bondage of sin, we come into church, and, and then a lot of times the, either the pastor or the congregation or the theology or whatever, then basically tries to put bondage back on us with religion. It's basically like taking the dead man that you gave up, you've got new life in Christ, and taking him and putting back on the new living man is what it's doing. It's basically trying to go back to an old covenant that's been fulfilled and not resting in Jesus' finished work. I I joked around about Alexa being your solution, but I want to tell you something that's helped me so much in understanding Scripture, even Revelation. I've been going through Revelation lately, and it's very interesting now looking at it a different way. And here's what it is, and I want to encourage you to do this. Every scripture you read, every, everything you read, look at it through the lenses of the finished work of Jesus. I literally ask myself, what does this have to do with Jesus? And it clears everything up for me every time. Every time I read it, that's one thing. That's the main thing. The second thing, look at the context. Look at who's writing it, where they're writing it to, and read before it and after it. Don't just read the scripture. This has happened to me, the whole lukewarm thing. I had a discussion with somebody this week about being lukewarm. He asked me, he's like, what do you think about um, in Revelation when it talks about being lukewarm and him spitting you, out of your, spitting you out of his mouth if you're not hot enough? Well, I was like, I don't know. I need to look it up. But it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like something Christ would do after salvation. And it's not. There is no lukewarm Christian. I'm here to help some people, hopefully. There's no lukewarm Christian. If you go back to what Jesus was talking about, talking, about, talking to the Laodiceans, they had... A, and this is a side note. This doesn't have anything to do with what I'm talking about, but I can tell you anyway. There's a hot, this is just mis- misinterpretations of, of, of being on fire for God. There was a, a hot spring and a cold spring on either side of Laodicea, and it met in the middle, and there were, was warm water. You could drink the hot water, it was safe. You could drink the cold water, it was safe, but you couldn't drink the lukewarm because bacteria would grow there, and it would induce vomiting, literally. So when God... When, when Christ reveals himself to John through a vision and tells him to speak to Laodicea, what he's telling him is, tell them something they can understand. I don't want to get, well, I'm really chasing this rabbit. Okay. Okay, the, the Laodicean church, and I could tell you about Paul's letter that never made it, blah, blah, blah. The Laodicean church was made up of mostly lost people. And so when he's talking to them, he's saying, you understand what it's like. There's not cold is bad, hot is good, and you need to be hotter and be on fire. He's saying cold is good, hot is good, in between is not good. He was explaining something that, that they could understand because they knew it, because they could see it. The same way Christ would say, look at that bird, look at this lily, right? He, he was speaking to them in a way that they could understand it. And right after that verse, he says, because here I am standing, knocking at the door, and if you open it up, I will come and sit down and eat with you, right? And in that culture, eating with them meant having an intimate relationship with, men, with them. God's heart for them was to know him. By saying that at the end, he's saying that he didn't know them before. So he's saying there, there is no lukewarm Christianity. How many of you heard that? Don't be lukewarm. He'll spit you out of his mouth. You better be on fire. How are you on fire? How can you be any more on fire than being in Christ? 
This has put especially young people, and I, me and Brian talked about this too because he's a youth pastor, and he's seen it too. Man, young people hear this, and they, and they want so badly to do the right thing. Man, they want to be on fire for God, but they, they don't know where to grab it from, and there's this pastor putting pressure on them to do stuff that they don't even know what to do, trying to make them perform in a way that they don't even know how to perform. It breaks my heart. Every single verse that we read, if, if we look through the lenses of the finished work of Christ, will make so much more sense. I promise you it will. Paul knows it. Obviously, Paul knows it. But we're going to look at it. I say quickly. I don't know how quickly. No promises. We're going to start in Romans. I'll jump back to Romans 7. We're going to start in Romans 8. And something Mark taught me was if there's a therefore, you go back and see what the therefore is there for. Because all of these scriptures, everything that you read in the Bible is a letter. We broke it down into verses. Everything is a letter from the beginning of Romans to the end of Romans is one letter, okay? Please remember that when you're reading. It's a letter. If you take something out of its text, out of context, it's just a con. (laughs) There's no more text. You have to be all the way through the whole thing to see what he's writing. We'll start Romans 8. Romans 8 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now stop there. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's a huge statement. It's even huger. (laughs) It's even bigger because of everything that he said in Romans 7. Now for time's sake, I'm not going to go all the way. I'm not ignoring it. You can go back and look at it. Basically, what Paul says is he's had a hard time with sin. He, he, he's basically um, being honest about the struggles that he's had with sin and how it looks to him. I always equate it to a beehive that you poke and then all the bees come out. Because law, what law did is it exposed what was in our hearts. It exposed, he says, Paul says in 7, I didn't even know what coveting was. Now you tell me, don't covet, and all I want to do is covet. Right? I didn't even know that I wasn't supposed to do that. Now you tell me not to do it. Now I want to do it. What's going on inside me? And so Paul begins to examine himself. There's this sin. There's this war going on inside me, and and I'm having a hard time with it. I want to do these things, but I can't do them. And he's having a really hard time. And he's being honest about it. He's like, "I, I don't know what to do. At the very end, he says, oh, but thank the Lord for Jesus Christ. And then he goes into eight. So I've talked to people about this, and they always go back to Romans 7, and they'll say, well, look at this. Look at this. This is the way we are. We have this war going, and there's this... The, you know, the, the angel and the devil on the shoulder, or the, the good dog or the bad, the big dog, the white dog, the black dog thing, or whatever like that. But he doesn't stop at seven. That's not the end of Romans. He's saying, this is the problem that I'm having. I have a problem. And in eight, he gives the solution. <laughs> this is so simple. As a church, I'll stop. I'm going to get into eight in a minute. As a church, I don't want to be a church that goes around broadcasting the problem. I see, I see no fruit in that. I've, I've seen results of that, and it's been hurt, and it's been temporary passion and zeal. Division. 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 I've seen so many bad things come from that. And the reason I believe is anytime you focus on something Anytime you focus on the problem and don't focus on the solution, you'll never see the solution because you're too focused on the problem. This is real simple stuff. It doesn't mean the problem doesn't exist. 
It doesn't mean we just ignore the problem. It's just that we know we have a solution. So listen to Romans 8. This is why I want to focus all this. If you want to go back and read Romans 7, I'm not hiding anything. It's there for you to read. He's having a hard time with sin. There's a war going on in Paul, and he's saying, I'm having a hard time with this. And I just want to talk about 8 right now. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Now stop there. How can your mind be governed by the Spirit? Do you see how he's showing us the correct way. Christ comes to live in our heart. He deposits the kingdom like a seed, and it grows. He describes it as um, yeast permeating and rising. He describes it as a, as a mustard seed and growing. And, and so this is deposited in our hearts, and it grows in us. And from that place, our minds get renewed from there, from here to there. So we begin to live from here, not here. This is flesh. We can only go as far as our, 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 either our experience or our knowledge, we can only go as far as that. But when we have Christ in us, we live from the Spirit. We need a new thing to hang from our rearview mirror. I don't know what it needs to say. Live from Christ, I don't know. But it's not for, you're not, there's not an angry slave owner, there's a loving father. Do you see the difference? The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. What is God's law? Love. This is clear. He didn't say Moses' law. He said God's law. Nor can it do so. Those, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. There's no way because you're outside of it. You can't merit it. You can't earn it. But, but you get it by free gift. The same way you got it, you can't unget it. <laughs> you can't be unborn again again. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because of His Spirit who lives in you. This isn't just when you go and die and go to heaven. This is right now your mortal body. He gives you life now. So many times Jesus and, and, and even currently the Holy Spirit continues to convince us of life. It's not just physical life and death. That's what we know up here. What we know here is we were dead. As Brian said when, when, when he taught, we were walking zombies feeding on flesh. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty accurate looking at zombies. We were dead. We don't need better dead people. We need life. We need life. We need new life. And so when he came, he gave us new life, and he, con he convinces us of that by way of the Holy Spirit in our minds because it's done in our hearts. Verse 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put the death in the deeds of your body, you, body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the slaves of God. Anybody reading? Children, sons, daughters. 
If you are led by the Spirit, you are sons and daughters of God, not slaves. Verse 15, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Let that soak in a minute. You are not slaves. You are sons and daughters. So he doesn't make you slaves so that you can fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we, we cry, Abba, or Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What do you think your inheritance is? It's the kingdom. Listen, this, this seems simple. It really seems simple, but it always hits me hard because I, I had a, a bad example of a father. And in my flesh, I should, I should have the same failures and hang-ups that he has. Statistically, it's true. And I'm not, I don't want to just build myself up or anything because I'm not special. Actually, I am. I'm the son of God. <laughs> but I say this because I'm a, I'm, I have a new inheritance. I don't, I don't have generational curses anymore. They don't exist. That was, that was canceled 2,000 years ago. I just have to renew my mind to it. It's done already, and it's done for you. You don't have to live by the statistics of anybody else and you don't have to have the same failings that you had that, that people put on you. The only curses after salvation are lies from the enemy that you can convince yourself of. Don't listen to them. They're just lies. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we, are, that we are God's children. Verse 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So those who are led by the Spirit are sons. Those who are led by the law are slaves. It's pretty basic. It's, it can't, I, can't, I can't expound on that. It's pretty clear here. Let me see. Man, I, I printed out practically the whole Bible here. Yes. Can we had when we used to sing the old hymn, Jesus paid it all. Everybody used to the concept, Jesus paid our debt. The thing we need to think of is that he paid it in cash. He didn't pay it with a credit card that we opened back for. <laughs> all to him I owe. Uh, all to him I owe. I don't want that hymn anymore. Me either. <laughs> Me either. The fact that he paid my he not only paid my debt in full with no uh, responsibility to pay back. But we've also now gone beyond that inherited the kingdom as sons of the king. So we've gone from complete, uh, complete desolation financially, we'll say it like a spiritual example, to complete uh, abundance. Uh, we, we've totally shifted into another realm. Paid in What happens to people when they're manipulated and controlled by fear and intimidation? Um, and that fear and intimidation is lifted. What happens then? Freedom. Now, here's the, here's the interesting thing about grace is it forces you to deal with what you're, what's going on in your heart. 
If I say you're free to do what you want, and I know we say this all the time, but I can't, I can't say it enough because and I, we, we really unintentionally kind of live in a bubble here because we, we I, not because of me, just we have a really cool church culture here. We live in a bubble that we don't see a lot of these things. It's just been recently that I've had some friends of mine that have grown up in legalistic churches have showed me how there are still churches out there teaching this stuff. And it breaks my heart because it is crippling people because what happens is there's this, this long period of, of control and manipulation and, and not allowing any discovery of who people are. And then at some point, either that fear is lifted or they, or they just run away from the church and, they, and then they're free. And, it, and then they go off the deep end because they don't know who they are because they haven't had a chance to discover who they really are because they've been told their whole lives what they're supposed to do. This is, this is what, in, in, our, and in our house with our kids, I use this as an example because it's what I live every day. When I teach our kids something, we don't, we don't just shelter them from everything. You know, we try to keep them sheltered from some things for their age group, right? And we determine that, not necessarily age group, by their maturity level, not even age group. By what we think, because we care about them, they can handle what they can't handle. And it's based on a relationship that they trust us, okay? It's not perfect. I'm not perfect. Trust me, I'm, I'm not. But in, in as much as I can, I help to explain the reason why we do everything that we do in the hopes that one day when they go off and do their own thing, they'll remember that. Not just because Daddy said so, although there are times when I do because they trust me and I say, well, you can't quite understand this, but trust me, you don't need to do this because it could hurt you. That's a few times I have to do that. Most of the time... I have to force myself, because I'm very impatient, to stop what I'm doing and explain. Why? Because they need to understand. This is the way we need to treat everybody. But how many times, I can't, I can't count how many times I go into church, and, and, from, and I'm not just trying to bash churches, I'm just telling you my experience. And from the preacher to the people, no one had patience with me at all. I had questions and nobody had answers, other than the ones that they were told most were incorrect. That would come from Christianese phrases like repent, even though they didn't know that repent was metanoia and it just changes your mind. But what they were saying was feel worse about your sin so you can do better. And, I, and at one point I was like, I don't know how much worse I can feel. <laughs> I've repented a lot. I mean, I've cried. You know I cry. <laughs> I've cried at many altars, many, many altars, repenting of sins that I couldn't even know if I did or not. I may have done because I felt just really, really bad about all the things that I'd done. And all the time, <laughs> Jesus was saying, I wish you'd get over this. I died for this, so you could actually go do something. I really do. I really feel like he was like, ah, I love you, man, but I just wish you'd get past this, because I did. <laughs> You're repenting of things I forgot about 2,000 years ago that you accepted five years ago. Why can't you just get on with your life now? I mean, I really, I feel like that's how he's saying. Why can't you go help other people now? You're, you're awfully busy being self-consumed here. This isn't what I died for. Oh, that's good. That's what they're supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop being self-centered, you jerk. I'll sell them on the corner. I don't think I'll sell very many. <laughs> Where's Shane? I called Shane. It's not all about you. It's not. Listen, when... When we see scripture in its context, which is, I know, radical thinking, when we see it in its context of, of why, I swear, I say that jokingly, but seriously, 
I, like I said, I've, I've stepped out within the last probably month or so. I've stepped out and started to listen to a few other people. I usually have a small group of pastors that I listen to that I, for the most part, agree with. But it's healthy sometimes to talk to people. And I've challenged some people that don't agree with the way that, that I teach and, uh, and listen to some other pastors. And I go, wow, I don't feel like I'm that smart. <laughs> I feel like I'm that intelligent. But that's way wrong. They have to see that. Like, that's way off. Like, way, way, way off. But I think, that, I think we've just been in this group for so long that it's like, we, it's, it seems simple enough to us, but I guess, and, and in their defense, I think that it's a, it's a fear-based thing. I think genuinely they're afraid, and I think leaders and pastors are afraid that people will mess up and then they'll go to hell. And that's another thing. I, when, when we go, what, what's the, the next, I, didn't, I haven't got to the next progression. I'm going to try to get back to this, but I don't know if I will or not. The next progression in, in this, the Christian walk is, okay, now we need to witness, right? We need to witness. What does that consist of? Well, we need to get people saved. Well, what does that mean? Well, they don't need to go to hell. They need to go to heaven, right? That was the progression. We need to get people to heaven. Now, how hard is it <laughs> to convince people you want to go to a good place and not a bad place? It should be pretty simple. We complicated that even too. But what we've done is we, we have tried to convince people that, that you are going to have to, how can I word this? That sounded like too crazy. You're, you're going to have to be miserable the rest of your life so that you can be happy one day. And that's essentially what we've told them. Even if we don't say it, the looks on our faces probably told them that. This is going to be bad for you for a long time. But just wait. When you die, it's going to be awesome. In a nutshell, that's what we were taught to do. Go tell people that God loves them, but, there's always a but, but you better straighten up or you're not going to make it. That's a pretty rough life. Exactly. Jesus said the kingdom is, actually John said the kingdom is at hand, and Jesus ultimately said that, Jesus, that the kingdom is in your heart now. You're, you're looking at the king. <laughs> now, I, I will go, but it's good that I go. Why is it good that he goes? Because the Holy Spirit will come back in every single one of you. I won't be in one place at one time anymore. I'll be all over the place. I'll be with you always. Always. Guess when always starts? Now. Never. I had to think about it. Never, right? I'm the pastor. I should get this right. Never. But here's, it's, I love laughing in church. I love it. Here's why. And that's my favorite picture of Jesus. One of the few that you see is him with his head back laughing. Because if, if I was created in God's image, I like to laugh. Who does not like to laugh? Who, who wakes up in the morning and goes, man, I can't wait to have a miserable day for God. Some people do, honestly. It's kind of sad. But, but the Holy Spirit doesn't, convicts the believer of righteousness and doesn't convict the unbeliever of sin. He convicts them of unbelief because they don't believe in him. Their problem isn't sin. It's that they don't believe in him. Sin is a problem. But their main problem is that they don't believe in him because he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way to have abundant life, real life life now 
So the truth is, the, the kingdom, there is a, there is a, a, reality, a spiritual reality that is the kingdom of heaven. The good news is we get to access that even now. Even though it's not in its fullness, we have access to the kingdom now through the Holy Spirit. This is why when we look through Scripture and we go, okay, I don't understand this, we go back, okay, what does this have to do with Jesus? And then we read it again, we go, oh, if it's Old Covenant or Old Testament, it's usually a type or a shadow leading up to Christ. And if it's all the way into Revelation, it's leading right back to Christ. All of it is. Even, at, even talking to Laodicea about spewing them out of their mouth, he's like, look, I want to come and eat with you. I want you to come and be with me. I want to have a relationship with you. He's not saying, do good or I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Be on fire. He never said that. What? Okay. So then I keep, I keep trying to come back. It's hard. Trust me. It's my ADD. Keep trying to come back. So what, are, what do we do? What is the purpose of us as a local body of believers, as a church in Mobile? We can't reach everybody, right? All the time. We can't reach everybody. So in, in this place, we reveal truth. Hopefully everything I do is, is help reveal truth to you, not try to convince you of something that you don't believe or, or anything like that. I hope that it's all revelation of truth that the Holy Spirit gives to you. Now, my goal here while we're here um, is to hopefully help you renew your mind that, that you can hear from the Holy Spirit just as much as I or anybody else can. The reason is I'm not with you all the time. And... As cool as you guys are, I can't hang out with everybody all the time. But the Holy Spirit can. That's why it was good for Jesus to leave and come back. He's with you all the time. I would be robbing you if I tried, if I tried to make you depend and plug into this church. Hear me. I love you guys. I want you to stay. <laughs> not trying to say scatter unless the Lord's leading you somewhere. But it's not this building, me, this church is not your source. The Holy Spirit that lives inside you is. And in doing so, that should be empowering to you. I heard a pastor, um, actually just this morning on the way to church, I heard him talking about uh, he was on a plane, he flies a lot to the, to the same airport, and, uh, and the stewardess recognized him. She said, hey, you fly a lot on, in, on this airline, are you going to the same place? And she said, he, it was to Washington. She said, oh, are you, are you uh, government or dignitary or something? He was like, yeah, I am actually. He was a pastor. And uh, she said, oh, well, would you like to go to first class? And he said, yes, I would. I would definitely like to go to first class. And so she walked him up to first class. They began to have a conversation. She said, well, where are you flying? He said, New Orleans. She said, well, there's no government in New Orleans. And he was like, well, there will be when I get there. <laughs> and, he, and he began to explain to her. He showed her, you know, uh, his Bible. And she ended up, her husband was a pastor. And he said, I'm an ambassador for Christ. Where I go, he goes with me. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> And so wherever you go, the Holy Spirit goes with you. And you're an, you're an ambassador for Christ. And lives are changed wherever you are. If you open your eyes and see them, they're changed because of you. This is what's cool about co-laboring with Christ. He's done all the work. We just get to hang out with him and, do, and, and be along with him. This is why when grace takes away all this pressure and all this stuff of us performing, we actually have room to perform. Yeah. <laughs> right? Not so that he's happy with us, but because now we, we, we're not tied up confessing sins that we can't remember and focused on, on, on the past, we can now look at the future and look at the people around us and love them and care for them. Because Christ loved us first, now we can actually love people outside of our own abilities. Not an emotion, not like, not want to or don't want to or try or don't try. There is no try. <laughs> you either do or you don't. And fruit happens. And if you don't, here's the thing. 
When I say you can't try to love people, here's why. If you try to love people and you don't want to, you, need, you don't need to keep loving them. You need to find out why you don't love them. That's, that's the heart of the issue. This is why when we try to control people in churches, it's like, I feel like it's like trimming the hedges or cutting the grass, not getting to the root of the problem. When I say you're free to do whatever you want, then you need to discover what you want to do. You discover why you want to do it. And in doing that, I hope that you find the source is the Holy Spirit. If not, then you find out what your motives are. Then you need to deal with that. Not what you're doing, but what your motives are. Does that make sense? All right. How far can I get? We'll, we'll jump down just for time's sake to, where are we, Romans 8, 31. Man, there's so much more above it, too. We'll just get, we'll get to this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring, sorry, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is, who then is the one who condemns? What's it say? Anybody? 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 No one. No one condemns. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall, sep- who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, either the present neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, that's a, that's a mouthful. If this is true, and I believe it is true, the, the title they use for this, and I don't agree with all titles, but this is pretty good, we're more than conquerors. How can we be more than conquerors? Because he's already done all this for us. We live from victory, not towards it. This is why we can do the things that we do, because in our own ability, we can't do them. So when we try to place that on other people, we, we, we reverse everything that God's doing in their lives. When we begin to make them perform for our acceptance and for God's acceptance, then we reverse everything that Christ died for. We, we, we take them and do a 180-degree turn and walk them backwards into law. Another phrase people talk about, dying daily. It says, for your sake, we, we face death all day long. These guys were facing death all day long. When Paul says, I die daily, he was saying, I could die any day. He's not saying, kill yourself every day. This is completely separate from take up my cross and follow me. We, for some reason, people have combined those two and try to pretend like we need to kill ourselves every day. If you've accepted Christ, you died with him and you were resurrected with him. Don't take things, another one taken out of context. Be careful with these phrases that people throw out and then it messes everybody up. How frustrating would that be if you had to die every day? Anyway, I'll digress with that. So we are more than conquerors. This is, when we come in here, I hope, I hope to spread truth and build you guys up in Holy Spirit leading. When we go out there is when the real stuff happens. Everything, the thing that led me to this church when it was deeper life on Government Street was outreach. I'd gotten, I'd, I'd gotten saved. I'd started to do the things. We went through the witness training stuff. I didn't understand it, but I did all the things, made everybody feel uncomfortable, did the Rome through Romans, the whole nine yards. 
Um, but nothing ever felt right, probably because it wasn't. But we, the little bit that we did do was always awkward and, and very weird, but most of the time we, we just went to church on, on Sundays and Wednesdays, and that was what we did. And you give your tithes, and you go through the motions, you do the things. And I, kept, I just kept feeling the Holy Spirit leading me to get outside of the church and do something outside the church. So we're going to continue to do in this new year, we're going to continue to do corporate outreaches. With the Children's Home, we will continue to do those every month. Um, but we're going to continue to do corporate outreaches, especially when, when Gospel Life joins us. Probably by the end of this month, we'll, we're going to come together. We're going to continue to do outreaches. Now, that's just a, a little piece. You guys can reach people individually that will never reach corporately. Every one of you. I mean... Destiny's in Honduras, for crying out loud, half the time. She's reaching people that you can't reach. You guys are at work reaching people that she can't reach. This is, this is life. This isn't, this isn't guilt or, or, or um, forcing you to do something you don't want to do. This isn't saying you owe God this. This is saying this life is so good, you're going to want to share it. And there's going to be people that you can reach. We're, we're going to continue to be outward focused because we want to reach people. Not so that we can try to convert them into what we believe, but so that we can share the truth with them and they can believe in, in the, the God that's loved us and has changed our lives. And there's no greater, no greater, ugh, no greater way to do that than relationship. You can try to convince people of anything. You can argue with people and you can win arguments, but if you don't have a relationship with them, I won't say it's impossible, but it'll be much more difficult to see people come to know the Lord. I say that from experience. All right, stand up with me. I got almost all the way through. Not bad. Father, we thank you for this time. I, I, I pray that as we, if anything that we get from this, Lord, I, I pray that we get a, a clear understanding of, of how real you are in our lives through, by way of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray that when we, when we leave this place, when we leave this building, um, that we just allow you to lead us. Lord, you say that, that um, your yoke is easy and your burden is light, and I found that to be true. Every time that I find myself frustrated or, or guilty or angry, it's all stuff that I put on myself. But when I, when I go to you, it's always so much better. Even when I don't believe it, once I get there, I go, man, I should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> I should have just went straight back to you because you're always the same. Instead of going to you and you, you beating me with the rod and staff, you comfort me. <laughs> Instead of stepping on my toes, you wash them. Father, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for meeting us where we are. Thank you for your grace that leads us to do greater things than we could do in our own ability. Father, thank you for your, your peace, even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of things that we don't like that we see. Lord, thank you for your leading in all the things that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.